great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. And before we get started officially with your reading, uh, before we were recording, you said you're in Copenhagen. I'm in Denver. So we are like in seven, eight hours apart, two completely different times in our day. Yeah, we're living different timelines right yeah, now, I think. I love it. What's the future like? <laughs> <laughs> it gets dark at the yeah. end of the day, so it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I feel like that question and that joke is like something kids say, but adults never use. And I'm going to try to bring it back whenever I talk to people in different time zones. Um, but we're not here to talk about children, dad jokes. Uh, we're here because you're going to read from How to Be Eaten, um, your debut novel. You recently, you previously released a short story collection called Girls of a Certain Age. Um, what's How to Be Eaten about? Tell readers. So it reimagines classic fairy tale characters as modern women in group therapy for trauma. So characters are like, um, there's a little Red Riding Hood character, and she's a grown up woman. She wears a wolfskin fur coat. There's um, Gretel, who has um, issues sort of connecting with her girlfriend because of being abandoned as a child. And both of their stories are a little bit about not just the trauma they went through, but the trauma of being sort of a childhood celebrity of trauma. And then there's, um, I retell the Bluebeard story, focusing on one of the women and Bluebeard is sort of reimagined as a tech bro billionaire with a trademark Bluebeard. Um, and then there's one sort of modern inclusion, which is the winner of a reality TV show, very much like The Bachelor. And this I think of sort of as our modern day fairy tale. It has lineage and like the Cinderella story, and I just wanted to include that because all sort of cultures tell and change fairy tales, including ours, mm -hmm. and they kind of reflect um, cultural mores and values. So it's like um, a strange book I've heard, <laughs> kind of horrific, funny, but it confronts serious themes about trauma. And also it's about how we tell stories um, as a culture and how we tell individually, how we tell stories about ourselves. Yeah, I have uh, been told my taste is like weird. Like uh, I also work in a bookstore and I talk to the book buyer. I'm the event person and her and I have very similar tastes. But then we diverge where it's like that was dark and depressing and just super weird. And like uh, that's why I probably connected with your writing. Um, not that it's depressing or anything, but it's like has a certain POV. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun because I, I love to tell this story. I got a, a five-star Goodreads review and a one-star Goodreads <sighs> review that said the exact same thing. Mm. It said, what the fuck did I just read? And yeah. I kind of love that. I'm like, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, yeah. some people love it. Some people won't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of literature and art. Um, anyway, um, what are you going to be reading for us today? What What section of the book? I'm going to read just from the beginning of the second chapter, which is um, Ruby, the little Red Riding Hood character. She's sort of just come into group therapy and fainted because she refuses to take off this wolf's, wolf skin fur coat. And so this little section is from her point of view, and she's just kind of trying to explain um, her day and how she got to this point where she, she faints. Terrific. We'll take it away. Okay. This morning, I was late for my shift at the coffee shop because I fell asleep on the train and had to backtrack, because I was sleep deprived, because I was hungover, which is another story, not one worth telling. 
When I arrived at the coffee shop, I was soaked with sweat because of the heat, but also the coat, which clearly I wear no matter the weather. Chloe, one of the other baristas, was scowling at me from behind the counter like I was a rat that crawled out of the sewer. You're 50, she yanked her phone out of the apron to check the clock. Eight minutes late. This time, she added, scathing like I'd eaten her mother for lunch. We're not letting it go. I was late, but also, Chloe's a bitch. My least favorite thing about her, her besides her personality, is her tattoo. Don't get me wrong, I like tattoos. I have a tattoo, a Western 45 handgun on the back of my right bicep. It's Chloe's tattoo specifically that I dislike. Most of the time, all you can see of it are, see of it are these two prehistoric bird feet sticking out from under the hem of her skirt. At the coffee shop, she lifted her skirt several inches several times a day just to show off the whole disappointing design. A monocle wearing peacock, its muted purple and green plumage fanning out across her right thigh. When I asked about the tattoo, about what it meant or meant to her, she responded with eye-rolling disdain, as if I'd missed the point entirely by asking the question at all. Nothing is anything anymore, she said, stalking off to refill the array of milks, whole and skim, almond and oat, soy and lactose-free. Nothing is anything? Is she kidding me? Humans have been making meaning for tens of thousands of years, adding and changing stories like some intergenerational exquisite corpse. Even the fucking Neanderthals were scribbling on the walls, as if Chloe and her lame tattoo were immune, as if she'd managed to pull something unique and pure from the ether. I went behind the counter for some water while Chloe finished up a cappuccino. Don't come back here, she hissed before hopping off to complain to the boss. I spied Emil, one of the other baristas, creeping along the far wall, trying to exit into the back room without my noticing taking great interest in the honeycomb tile floor he'd washed down after the early morning rush. This was a new level of avoidance, even for Emil. Emil and I have this on-again, off-again storage closet romance. Romance is a strong word for it. He sometimes non-exclusively jams his junk down my throat over lunch breaks until I can't breathe. Emil has the personality of a drunken pirate trying to clean up his act. For three weeks out of each month, he treats me like a siren trying to shipwreck him. When he's exhausted himself from abstaining, he'll reappear with that hungry, wanting look. Later, he'll pawn it off as a moment of weakness that was my fault, saying things like, well, when you wear that dress or you finally wash your hair. We keep doing it just like that in a way that's annoyingly unstoppable, like how you find yourself singing along to a crappy pop song on the radio that you unfortunately know by heart. Chloe reappeared from the back looking smug, and Sergio, who was newish but friendly, caught my eye, then looked away. Maybe he was stunned by the metallic gleam of my pleated miniskirt. My boss appeared, covered in flour in a way that made her look blurred. Her face fell as she saw me. Ruby, she said, shaking her head, something's got to give. I was hoping Chloe was what had to give, but I wasn't banking on it. My boss looked down at her forearm, then scratched it as flour plumed from her skin. When she looked up at me again, her face was all pity. I know you've been through it, she said. I hadn't known she'd known anything about me, actually. Through what? I asked, just to make her squirm. My boss opened her mouth, closed it, opened it again. Everyone has their story, she said. Sure, fuck you, I thought. Maybe everyone has a story, but not everyone was interviewed by Barbara Walters at age 12, cross-legged on the couch in a red dress of Mary Jane's, skin still red from stomach acid, getting chastised for her wantedness. Not everyone was in a Western 45 handgun ad just to pay the hospital bills, not that I was the one who shot him. 
not everyone is the fictionalized star of pedoerotic true crime fan fiction and actual porn posted on the deep corners of the internet. Some version of me wandering around a subdivision in pigtails naked, save for a red hooded cape. People were recognizing me all the time again after a two decade lull. I blame it on the recent uptick of where are they now listicles featuring pictures of tragedy celebs all grown up. Elizabeth Smart, Amanda Knox, computer-generated age progressions of missing girls who had never been found. And yours truly, me in a fur coat fucked up from a night out. What a shame how people go wrong. Thank you so much for reading that. Um, like we said, you know, I like weird books. This book is has a weird POV and, and it, it really does fun uh, fun things. And this passage is perfect. Just like Ruby's voice is just pitch perfect. Um, how did you select like what you were going to retell? What was it, was it fairly obvious, not retell, but you know, use and, and, and morph into your own version. Was it obvious from the beginning or did you have to work on like balancing different characteristics and stuff? It was not totally obvious from the beginning. I mean, I started this way, way, way back Mm -hmm. as just a series of flash fiction called Aftermath that took place in the immediate aftermath of the fairy tales. Mm. Um, And so uh, the original title for the book was also Aftermath. And I thought it would just be the aftermath and I wouldn't retell any parts of the tales. But then, of course, it expanded and grew. And so I did end up sometimes retelling parts of the tales, but I didn't want it to simply be a retelling. I wanted it to really be about what happened to the characters after. So that's what I tried to focus on. Mm -hmm. And uh, you previously wrote a short story collection. And I I just talked to someone who very similar trajectory. They wrote short stories and they wrote their first full not length novel um, what was it like making that transition from, you know, shorter pieces of flash fictions that these originally were going to be to like, the, the marathon of a novel? It was a huge, um, it was a huge challenge for me. Mm-hmm. I really had my, thought my home was in a short story. And then I sort of had this opportunity to write a novel. And I actually wrote a full draft that just did not work at mm-hmm. all. And I kind of had to start from square one and, um, imagine it in like a bigger more comprehensive way but I think it's pretty obvious from the book that I do love the short story because I sort of tell it almost as five novellas that are interconnected and I really love the spirit of the short story so I'm happy I was able to keep that in the novel yeah is that something the short story form something you'll go back and continue to visit um yeah I mean I mean, theoretically, I mm-hmm. mean, we all know that there's not quite as much money in short stories. Sure, so there's yeah. there's always that um that aspect of balancing art with um mm-hmm. with uh, finances. Yeah, unfortunately. Thank you so much to Maria for joining the Day Beautiful podcast First Taste reading series today. You can find her at her website, mariainc.com. That's mariaink.com. And on Twitter and Instagram at inc176. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net. And we're on social media at daybeautiful on wherever you can find us. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful. Beautiful.